Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, we're talking about Joe Biden, whether he can be found and why anyone would want to find him anyway. Our guest is Bronco Marchetich, who is author of Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden, and of numerous excellent articles for Jacobin at jacobinmag.com. Bronco Marchetich, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for all the writing you've been doing. Why are we seeing so little of Joe Biden? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, obviously, the world is in the midst of this uh, deadly pandemic. Uh, there is a potentially unprecedented economic crisis uh, on the horizon. Um, and you would think the Democratic, the leading Democratic candidate would want to be uh, out in front, sort of seeing the agenda and being as visible as possible uh, to kind of convey leadership during this crisis. And yet Biden... Um, I think has done maybe, aside from the debate, uh, actually it it may only be the debate is the one public appearance he's made in the last, uh, let's say, 10 days or so, um, other than to do a speech, a victory speech, after the the last, uh, the the primary on um, on March 17th. So, uh, you know, I think there's several different things that are going on here. Uh, Of course, if you listen to the campaign, they're saying that, well, the, the problem is that Biden and his campaign just haven't haven't yet mastered the technology, the the um, unprecedented uh, uh, you know world uh, changing technology. Uh, there's still an experimental stage of of trying to live stream um, public appearances and answer questions in real time, um, which of course is, is strange given that uh, Bernie Sanders has managed to do several uh, virtual events, um, you know, about around six I think uh, in that time. Um, with no real hiccups or anything. But for whatever reason, the Biden campaign claims they can't do it. One excuse uh, they offered uh, was also that they had to... Um, there was an issue with Biden's house that the ceilings were not high enough, and so the lighting wasn't good enough. So they, they've been doing that for apparently a week, trying to figure out how to... Obviously, uh, he, he's been to the call with the reporters um, about uh, some of these things and said that he's desperately trying to find a way to uh, communicate with people. We'll hopefully find out more and see more from him um, in the next uh, you know, little while. Uh, obviously, these are very crucial, crucial days and weeks ahead. Um, but uh, probably the, the thing they're trying to do is to give Biden as little public uh, attention as possible or limit his appearances in public that aren't scripted. Um, you know, we know that this is a conscious decision by the campaign even before the crisis, uh, the, the coronavirus crisis had. Um, because Biden had this tendency to make uh, what, what the news media politely calls gaffes. Um, and so they're trying to sort of make sure that he embarrasses himself as little as possible. However, there's a big question about whether that's actually the right strategy, given that now Trump is really setting the agenda and kind of, um, uh, you know, very much out in front and, and has a high approval rating for what, what he's doing with the coronavirus. It's something that a Democratic candidate should be going out there to to neutralize, but, um, you know, they aren't. Yeah, I, I I don't think Biden is, you know, trying to communicate with a record player or, you know, it's it's more the problem that he's going to go out there and tell everybody to listen to their record players to to educate their children. But but uh, apart from his, you know, supposed inability to communicate with a uh, with a laptop like the rest of us do, uh, 
what what has he proposed uh, be done uh, in terms of this this crisis with the coronavirus? Does he have any any solutions? Well, Biden did put out a, a seven thousand word plan um, on his website. Um, you know, I mean, the question is, how familiar is Biden with his own plan? I mean, um, in the public appearances he has made, there's March twelve uh, press conference and then the debate. Um, it was very light on the specifics. Um, when, he, when he did get specific, he tended to focus on things like uh, testing, you know, in, increasing the amount of tests. Um, I think he mentioned he wanted to mobilize the military. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think he, he, in the March 12 one, he talked about um, paid uh, sick leave, emergency paid sick leave, which, of course, you know, that, that, was, that was a while ago now, and events are calling for, for far more uh, bold and, and ambitious actions at this point. Um, but that, that was sort of the, the main extent of what he's proposing. If you, if you read his plan, it's a little more comprehensive, but Biden tends to just sort of tell people in these public appearances, go to my website and read the plan, um, not so much outline uh, these things. I mean, if, if we take the plan as, as gospel, there is um, uh, you know, provisions in there calling for the vaccine to be free, um, calling for people's... Um, uh, you know whether it's uh, rent and other sort of costs uh, associated with this uh, to be to be covered by the federal government, um, but the plan also mentions you know that, that the U.S. will spend whatever it takes. The, the language it uses, and Biden in the in the debate uh, seemed to contradict this. He said that, that you know uh, we we've almost used up all of our seed corn, is what he said, um, because of the tax cut, the Trump's tax cut. So it seems to be implying that um, actually there's there are limits. Um, to what the U.S. can spend. So again, it's it's unclear how much how familiar Biden actually is with his own plan, um, given given this contradiction, given that he keeps kind of pointing to it instead of uh, saying specific things from it. Um, I mean, at this point, Biden says that he part of the reason he has been away from the public eye is he's been spending hours and hours a day talking to medical professionals and health professionals, trying to figure out a response. Um, but all that time hasn't really produced anything new. I think the 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 only new thing I saw um, from Biden in the last uh, you know week or so was a tweet some days back uh, calling for um, uh, CEOs not to do stock buybacks. Um, you know, so so that seems to be the kind of the most novel idea the campaign has come up with in all the hours that they've spent talking with. Uh, with experts, um, and even that obviously isn't very robust. I mean, simply asking CEOs politely, "Hey, please spend your money wisely and and don't do it just to enrich yourselves," isn't really going to cut it. Um, so, you know, there, there's definitely uh, at this point events are really outpacing where the Biden campaign is, and and there's really a lack of leadership there. I mean, the Democrats in Congress are really much more taking the lead than the Biden has had. But this is uh, someone who has a decades-long uh, record uh, of so-called public service. Uh, he has a record of positions taken and actions taken on on Medicare and Medicaid and pharmaceutical prices and corporate bailouts, for that matter. What can we, what can we judge Biden would likely be doing now in the White House based on uh, his record? What is his record on these issues? Well, if you look at his, just his record, his history, uh, Biden, for almost his entire time in the Senate, his, you know, the 36 years he spent, and also actually the eight years uh, he spent as vice president, was one of the Senate's leading deficit hawks. So what that means is he prioritized cutting the deficit, balancing the budget, 
getting government spending, uh, you know, quote unquote, under control, as he would put it. Non-military um, government spending. Let's be clear. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's the military or if it's uh, the government's and, and law enforcement's uh, ability to to go after drugs and and crime and to sort of supercharge the uh, the size of government there then that doesn't count of course that that's left out but when it comes to providing uh you know uh much needed social programs uh food programs health programs things that that help people to survive and uh you know particularly people who aren't in a incredibly good financial place um that that's where his uh, budget cutting zeal has tended to go and it's really he really adopted during the late 70s and 80s he adopted Reagan's uh worldview on things and really tried to kind of outdo Reagan and then Republicans uh, that came later on this issue. Um, so if you look at his record, Biden's always placed uh, cutting spending and, and, and getting the deficit of control as, as kind of the center of his domestic politics. Uh, he voted for, for Reagan's budgets in the early 80s that um, uh, made pretty severe cuts to Medicaid um, and, and started to, to, to the, the process of, of defunding uh, rural hospitals that continued uh, really uh, up until today. Um, you know, one of the most uh, uh, alarming things that Biden voted for was the balanced budget amendment in the 90s. Um, he voted for it three years in a row, and that was a major plank of the, the, the Gingrich Republicans and their contract for America. And that was really um, kind of a tool to, you know, it was supposedly a tool to, to, to balance the federal budget. If you make it a constitutional mandate, then the uh, the, the government always has to do a balanced budget, um, but really it was a, a stealthy way to try and um, slash a lot of government programs that uh, the right wasn't a fan of, including Social Security and Medicare. Um, and uh, more to the point, uh, it would have really uh, tied the the government's hands um, in a crisis like we're seeing now. Thankfully, it, it didn't pass, but it only came uh, you know one or two votes short each year. So. Um, you know what we're looking at, and, and again, Biden's comments on the fact that you know we we have don't have much room to spend here because of the tax cuts imply that that even though I think he realizes the gravity of the situation right now, he's still not willing to get past that that uh, deficit hawkishness, that concern about the uh, debt more than anything else. Um, and it's you know if you go by his records, very very likely that if he became president, he's going to. Um, you know, perhaps spend a lot of money to deal with the crisis, and then afterwards look at the balance sheet and go, okay, we need to we need to go into austerity. We need to make major cuts here, otherwise the deficit is going to get even more under control. Um, and that will endanger, especially with uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, will endanger those programs like Social Security and Medicare and a whole host of other life-saving programs. We're speaking with Bronco Marchetich, whose book is called Yesterday's Man. Wish that were true. The case against Joe Biden. Uh, I do think, Bronco, that we that we ought to uh, say that, that he's interested in, in cutting non-military spending rather than just cutting spending. I don't think it's a minor quibble. The military is, you know, about half of the discretionary spending. Uh, but but here, is, here is a guy who is against significantly taxing wealthy people, against a Green New Deal, uh, as far as I can tell in any sort of detail, uh, against Medicare for All, against making college part of public education. He, Biden, and Trump 
are on one side on all of these issues, and Bernie Sanders and voters like myself, for whom Bernie Sanders was the lesser evil that we could stomach, are on the other side. How does how does it possibly make sense uh, for the Democratic Party to nominate Joe Biden? How can he possibly be a, a serious contender in a general election? One of the, the paradoxes of this election is that um, even as Biden has racked up uh, victory after victory, often pretty big wins, and even in, in states that, that Sanders was favored to win, um, pretty much in, in primary after primary, exit polls show that uh, large majorities of voters uh, want Medicare for all, which, of course, as you mentioned, is a policy that Biden is implacably opposed to. Uh, he even said the day before the uh, primaries in Michigan and other states that he would veto uh, Medicare for all, even if it passed the, the the Congress and went to his desk. He would, uh, you know, well, he suggested he would veto it because of the um, uh, because it would raise taxes on middle class families and um, you know be be too expensive. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a big question about. <laughs> You know, this is uh, to, to paraphrase what MSNBC has been saying. It's a it's a uh, battle between the head and the heart of the Democratic Party. <laughs> the problem is that the this idea that Biden is the choice of the head is itself, um, you know, just a product of, of decades of propaganda and and I think uh, mislearned lessons. Um, the idea is that because Biden is the centrist. Uh, you know, unexciting, establishment-friendly um, choice. That someone who doesn't really have any big ideas. Someone who, who you know, promised uh, a group of wealthy donors that nothing will fundamentally change in the country. That this is the kind of candidate that wins elections, and it's the only kind of candidate um, that that can go up against Trump. And so, hey, you know, as, as Joe Biden's own wife said, you might think that another candidate is better on a whole host of issues like health care, but at the end of the day, you have to uh, swallow a little bit and go with Biden. And I think that is what's happening is, is voters are, are um, you know, to quote uh, uh, Ryan Grimm, uh, journalist at The Intercept, voters are, are playing pundit right now, Democratic voters are. Um, they're trying to think about, well, what do the, what do the other people want to vote for? What would other people vote for? And I'm going to go for that. The problem there is that if you actually look at the track record, of, of centrist, uh, you know, this, this kind of establishment-friendly, moderate uh, candidates that have been run by the party, um, you know, just in the last four years, they have a terrible track record uh, running in presidential elections. Jimmy Carter lost to Reagan by a landslide. Jimmy Carter was not a liberal uh, Democrat. He was a, a conservative Democrat. Um, Walter Mondale, who, who was a new dealer uh, back in the day, but, but ran a, a, a centrist campaign at the party's urging that was uh, mostly about paying the debt uh, cutting spending and then raising taxes. Uh, he lost in a landslide. Michael Dukakis ran an even more centrist campaign, lost to, to Bush in a, in a pretty big loss. Um, Gore, Kerry, uh, Clinton, of course, already lost to Trump. Um, all, the, all these people have lost. You know, the, the one time that the Democrats have won, or the, the, the few times they've won, it's with candidates who are more... Um, aspirational and tend to be talking about making those kind of large changes. You know, Obama in 2008, uh, very much the same pattern that we see now where older voters were going for Clinton because they saw it as the more safe, uh, voter-friendly choice. And actually, in the end, against the conventional wisdom of the Democratic electorate, particularly older voters, Obama was a, a very successful candidate. Um, as president, obviously, you know, he, he betrayed a lot of the vision that he, he said he was going to do. But nonetheless, 
that is how he campaigned and um and, and very much defied the kind of conventional wisdom. And Bill Clinton to some extent too. I mean Bill Clinton, even though he ran he, he ended up governing as a as a more kind of right wing Democrat, uh, he initially campaigned with a much more aspirational vision that um that he again, pretty much as soon as he got into office he said, No, we're not gonna we're not gonna do these things, we're gonna instead um, focus on balancing the budget and kind of deficit, which which actually um, you know kind of hurting his standing with voters um, in the subsequent election. So uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you actually look at the evidence and the historical record for, for choosing Biden. But you know, like I said, um, people have been, especially older voters who are consuming cable news more than younger voters who aren't reading uh, online uh, news quite as much. I think they are being fed a particular narrative that, um, and they've really been fed it relentlessly since 2019. And um, I think that, that we're seeing that that narrative being reflected in the uh, in the voting pattern right now. Uh, I think you make a very excellent case, Bronco Marchetich. I, I, I do think there is, however, another way to look at Obama uh, as someone who would go out and tell a rally, the first thing I'm going to do is end the war, and then speak with a journalist uh, after the rally and say, well, no, not really. We're going to slowly move a few of the troops to Afghanistan. We're going to expand the military. We're going to have more bases. We're going to start pressuring China. You know, and, and so he's, he's, is he a visionary candidate? or because Because if he's a visionary, candidate, we have this other problem that's happening right now, this pretense that Biden has taken over Bernie's positions, that Biden has now, uh, you know, uttered some sort of coherent phrases that suggest he's on board with Bernie Sanders' platform now. Uh, And even if he has, you know, 50 years of having been against it, that's okay, we'll take his word for it. Are, are, are Are people believing that at this point? I honestly don't know if people are buying it. Um, uh, you know, again, the fact that people uh, wanted Medicare for all um, and still vote for Biden, even though they know that that's, his, uh, that's <laughs> against his position, I think suggests that, uh, you know, people aren't really thinking about these things when they're voting. But, yeah, you're absolutely right that, that uh, Biden's claiming, you know, the big thing they're trying to do now is they have to win over Bernie Sanders voters. Right. So that, you know, Biden's won with the crowd that always shows up. Um, but the problem is that if you don't get young people involved in your campaign and, you know, Biden has kind of gone out of his way to almost thumb his nose at young people throughout this campaign. And if you don't get them in, um, you know, you don't have a coalition like Obama's, uh, which is which uh, young people are really crucial into. So uh, he's trying to to say that, you know, well, look, we're trying we're, we're opening the doors. We're, we're going to, you know, have some of these ideas that you guys are into. But the problem is, even that's been kind of a half measure. I mean, when it comes to adopting Sanders' uh, uh, student loan cancellation plan, he's adopting a plan of his from a few years back. And actually, a, a plan I think Biden supported back in the day and then kind of stopped talking about. Um, but it's a, it's a more limited uh, student loan cancellation plan. It's not the universal uh, plan that Sanders put forward. So it's, it's a very different proposal. Uh, but, you know, you sort of adopted a more Biden-friendly version of Sanders' plan, uh, which has means testing. Um, when it comes to uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, he's adopted her, her policies on bankruptcy, which basically just undo the damage that Biden did with his own bankruptcy bill. Um, so, you, you know, as far as uh, the Green New Deal and, and climate change, I haven't really heard anything from Biden. I mean, on Sunday's debate, he, he came out, uh, against fracking, suddenly he said that you know his plan actually did ban fracking, which is news to anyone who has been following the race. And then the day after his um, 
uh, uh, one of his uh, campaign staffers helpfully clarified that this was not true. Um, so uh, on a whole host of issues, Biden is not really, uh, I, I think, making a very uh, good or wholehearted attempt to really win over uh, the people who support Sanders, particularly the young people who see um, that that the problems facing the U.S. and the world are not just that Trump is in power and that if you get rid of him, everything will go back to normal and be hunky-dory, but they realize that there are really terrible uh, systemic problems uh, in the United States that have to be solved, and they have to be solved through uh, bold government action that defies a lot of powerful interests. Um, and frankly, it's action that Biden neither wants to take and uh, and their interest that fund Biden's campaign uh, for the most part. Uh, so I'm not sure how that effort is really going to go. Uh, he's going to have to to step it up, really, if he and, and do something dramatic to prove that he really uh, means these things. I, I'm reminded of, of Barack Obama signing on, as I recall, in support of the Employee Free Choice Act and various progressive uh, legislation that you never heard one word about once he was in the White House. And so I'm wondering how seriously to take things uh, that Biden does say. But but a lot of what he's done in recent debates has been to, to simply lie uh, about his record and his positions, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, uh, is that no matter how how much he promises and says, the the, pro- the the issue there is that Biden does have this long pattern of dishonesty in his career. And we saw that on Sunday's debate, um, which, by the way, um, you know, I mean, politicians lie. And, and don't get me wrong, Biden lied shamelessly and brazenly throughout the whole thing. But um, it, it's the job of the media. I mean, there were three moderators at that debate. It's the job of the media to call out these lies. Um, and, and the fact that they didn't do it, I mean, I think that really helps to explain the state of the race, to be honest, uh, which is that if you, if you look at the coverage of mainstream media, it is, it is very protective of Biden. Um, it does not, call, you know, the media is very happy to call out the lies uh, of people like Trump, uh, relentlessly, this is this is a, almost a cottage industry um, within the media. Just just writing uh, articles about by uh, about, about Trump's lies, um, yeah, and yeah, Biden is, has been seriously dishonest throughout this campaign, and and really has not been called out. I mean, there was not one question at that debate about his um, his made up story about meeting with Nelson Mandela, for example. But I mean, just to take some of the lies they said in the debate. I mean, Biden said they didn't write the bankruptcy bill, uh, which he absolutely did. Um, and, he, and he worked for years to um, get that bankruptcy bill over the line, which he finally did under a Republican president uh, because he couldn't do it under a Democratic president because the, the bill was so terrible and, and harmful to, to the exact kinds of middle class families Biden claims to fight for. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, he again said that he voted for the Iraq War because he wanted to stop the war, which is absolutely nonsensical revisionist history. Um, he, he brazenly lied, uh, I think, three times, asked directly whether he had been in the Senate floor calling for cuts to Social Security, Medicare, and veterans programs. Biden flat out said no, that was not him. And of course, there's a famous uh, video that the Sanders campaign has been using for months um, in ads. Uh, uh, hitting Biden for his uh, willingness to cut Social Security and Medicare, where Biden says this exact thing. He's literally on the Senate floor saying these things. Um, uh, he, he, you know, he said that he was involved, and this is a claim he's made throughout the campaign, that he was 
the guy in charge of putting together the Paris Climate Agreement, which is uh, not true. There's a, a piece interviewing Obama officials about this. They said that they can't remember having any role uh, in this. Um, I right. mean, this was just in real time during the debate. All things that they could have called out, and we know that the moderators could have called it out because when Sanders challenged Biden on his record of cutting Social Security and Medicare, the, the moderators didn't call out Biden's very obvious and well-known why, for anyone who's been you know, covering politics this entire uh, election, they should have known that. Instead, they had a question teed up that implied wrongly that Sanders in the 90s had called for um, Social Security to be cut. So obviously they knew this was coming, and they had a, a prepared kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, point or, or head to, to, to right. put against Sanders, but nothing against Biden. So, um, you know, unless the, that media behavior changes, and it probably will in the general election, but unless it changes in the primary, uh, I think we're just going to keep seeing Biden kind of racking up these wins. It, it seems to me that, that Kerry and, and Hillary Clinton uh, were both kept out of the White House for numerous uh, reasons, some of them uh, of their own making, some unfair to them. Uh, but one was their uh, support for the, the war on Iraq. Uh, and, he, you know, e- either one of them arguably would have been president without that. Uh, and here you have the Democrats considering nominating another, a, a leading uh, Iraq warrior. How, how is this, you know, not just simply delusional. I guess they believe that because it was, you know, this this uh, vote was a mere seventeen years ago. Um, you know, that's ancient history. Well, eighteen years, eighteen years at this point. Uh, it's ancient history, and nobody cares about. It. Um, the problem is that that Trump in 2016 um, actually kind of ran against the Iraq War. Um, you know, we we can obviously yeah. talk about the fact that he was. His anti-war positioning was disingenuous, and, uh, you know, the fact that he, uh, as president, has ramped up U.S. involvement um, in the countries where with the U.S. military footprint already is, really, you know, stepped up drone strikes and special forces uh, strikes and everything. But um, he did run against it and, and actually got a lot of success. And, and you know, that there is a study that suggests that, that Trump's less outwardly hawkish or more in- anti-interventionist positioning may actually have won him some key... Uh, uh, counties and um, in some of these these Democratic states that that, that went sure. Republican in 2016, um, that, that Clinton lost, um, and so running Biden again on the assumption that well this is a long time ago to count, um, I think is is a pretty flawed position, particularly when you consider the fact that okay Kerry and Clinton both lost, um, and. They they were just votes for the Iraq War. I mean, they didn't they weren't really involved in the the actual war itself. They weren't taking a leading role in it. But they you know they just didn't have the political courage to uh, stand against it when it mattered, which is obviously very bad. But with Biden, it's not just that he lacked the courage to to stand against it and vote against it when when the moment came. Biden was instrumental to the Iraq War actually happening. He was the Senate Foreign Relations Committee chair. Um, he uh, really faced a choice when September 11 happened. I mean, there's a, a local news story about this. You know, they said that as as uh, foreign relations chair, he had a choice. He could either kind of be a doormat for for Bush, or um, you know, be a stand in his way and, and do what he did, to, uh, do what he could to to sort of um, slow his agenda or obstruct his agenda. And Biden uh, chose a doormat option, and he he spent all of 2002 going on. The, uh, the the news shows, the Sunday shows, talking about what a threat Saddam was and how he had to be get, gotten rid of, how he 
had weapons of mass destruction, um, most likely, you know, praising things that the Bush administration did as they were kind of selling this drive for war. He even held a hearing um, uh, on on the idea of, of going to war with Saddam that was just stacked with uh, people who were, you know, either saying Saddam is WMDs or saying Saddam right. is cahoots with al-Qaeda. Um, didn't call any, any skeptics like Scott Ritter um, on, even though he, you know, obviously could have. He didn't even... No call members of the military, uh, you know, hiring members of the military who were, who were skeptical about this. And, you know, we could go on and on. This, this was just scratching the, the surface of Biden's involvement in the Iraq war. We, but we, all of we, could, we, could, we could go on. I wish we had hours and hours to go on. We're out of time. Uh, Bronco Mar- Marchetich, the, the book is called Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden. Highly recommended. Bronco, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. No, no, thanks for having me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.